Hey guys, so uh, nice of you to stop by for another episode of the Encore Podcast. I'm Chris McCoy, and uh, she is Gab. Hello there, Gab. Hello. We have had two big events happen since the last time we spoke to our listeners. Which oh, was, really? Do tell. I, July 4th was the first big one. Right. It's a little holiday, a little local holiday. Not sure if you've heard of it. But then the other one was, a, I think a certain host of ours had a birthday. Yeah, I had a, a birthday over this past weekend. You know, when, when you get to be my age, birthdays are always nice. And the best part about birthdays, and I, I don't think I used to really so much look at it this way as I do now, is, you know, gathering the family around and just having the family there, family and friends to celebrate with you. Nothing elaborate, nothing outrageous, just to know that you you still have family and friends at my ripe old age is, is enough of a birthday present for me. It seriously is. And, uh, you know, and that was what the weekend was. And in our house, Gab, I don't know about you with your parents at growing up, birthdays were more than just a one day event. You know, there was, especially if they came on the weekends, it was the entire weekend. And oh, what the hell, if they came on a Tuesday, you also celebrated that the next day, Wednesday as well. So, because they only come once a year and, you know, you should do something nice for them. So, yeah, it was an entire weekend of my 69th birthday. Wow. And my youngest daughter even asked me uh, the other day when she was here, Dad, what do you want to do for your 70th birthday? And I, after thinking for like maybe 10 seconds, I said, I just want to be breathing. <laughs> for my seven. Anything above that is gravy. So I'm I'm sure Becky loved hearing that on, <laughs> on her dad's birthday that his wish for next year is that he was still breathing. Well, the world is an uncertain place. It, I mean, it really is so much more uncertain now than it has been in my lifetime. So I'm just I'm looking forward to next year and uh, and breathing on and, my 70th birthday and breathing. Um, Got it. Yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of the world being uh, kind of a strange place these days, subject of our interview which is coming up in just a, a very few moments here, is money, your money, your finances, planning for the future. I know this is something that should interest you, right, Gab? Yep, it's probably something I should be thinking about. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's something that I've thought about for a long time. And even though I'm now retired for a year, I still think about it. And so we're going to talk to a guy that has handled our finances, that is uh, Roberta and my finances for the last 30 years and practically from day two when he got into the business too. He's a great guy. We'll talk to Colin Law about your money next on the Encore Podcast. Well, we are really happy to have you guys here and listening to uh, this episode of the Encore Podcast because we're going to talk about money. Money is kind of one of those weird subjects. People don't like to talk about it. But it is a necessary evil in all of our lives. And not everybody looks at it as an evil. I understand that. But let's talk about money and financing, uh, finances, I should say, uh, and planning for your retirement, Gabby, since uh, you're one of those 20-something millennials. <laughs> this is something that should be right in your wheelhouse right now. Am I right? Well, I spent all of my money on avocado toast, so I won't have any leftover for retirement. <laughs> now, yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's a smart idea for me to start 
looking to the future. So. Yeah, exactly. So that someday you'll be able to have bacon on that avocado toast. Yeah, so the luxury. And really bacon. treat yourself. Going back, my wife, Roberta, and I, uh, going back almost 30 years ago, I'm trying to think of exactly where we were. We just had our house built. We had Lauren. Lauren was a toddler. Roberta was pregnant with, uh, with Becky. And I was working, as you know, in a field that was really kind of unstable. I didn't know whether I was going to have a job from one day to the next. As it turned out, I, I was pretty fortunate in my career. But still, that was a consideration. So we decided we needed to do something and kind of get our finances in order and at least think about like college funding for the girls. That was the big thing back then. You know, what are we going to do? We've got to fund their college education. It just so happens that one day we're sitting at home and the phone rings and we actually had a landline in our house. Now, remember, this was 30 years ago. So the phone rings and it's this young guy asking if he could get a face-to-face -face meeting with us. It just so happens that he's a financial planner. And by the way, did I mention he's just starting out? <laughs> he, I think he was 12 or 13 years old. <laughs> I'm kidding, but he did. When he finally showed up, you know, he did look like a high school kid, as I recall. Colin Law is with us today to help figure all this stuff out. Colin is a financial planner with Creative Financial Group. Colin, hello there, sir. It's good to see you. Good to see you again, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for doing this. We, we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, you were, you were really just a kid. It just kind of like set the scene that maybe I didn't do as well doing. You were just fresh in the business at the time, right? I had graduated Rutgers University that May and spent the summer as a loan officer and was hired by a company, IDS Financial Services, and uh, was doing cold calling, 22 years old, 150 pounds, shaved every six days. So yeah, I looked like a, a high school kid uh, and was fortunate enough to get you on the phone because there wasn't caller ID back then. So we were able to get through, didn't get blocked by any secretaries. And I can remember you had me over to the house and you uh, actually turned out to be my fifth client that I ever brought on. And I only have one other client that doesn't share my last name that I've been with longer than you. That's pretty amazing. I mean, Colin was right up front with Roberta and me. He said, you know, really, I am just starting out in the business. But having talked to him at our house for, I don't know, maybe an hour or so, uh, Roberta and I both felt pretty confident that this guy knew his business and knew what he was talking about. We just kind of felt that he would have our best interest at heart. And we were right about that because here we are almost 30 years later. Uh, we still work with Colin. Through the years, our risk tolerance has been different. When we first started out with you, I think we were probably a little more aggressive in trying to save money for the future, for the retirement, for the college fund, whatever it was. It seemed like the target kept changing every now and then. But as we got older, well, we kind of like pulled back a little bit. You were really good in all of that and talking us down from the cliff, you know, Colin, several, several times over the last 30 years. And that is something that Gabby was mentioning to me before we got on with you here on the podcast. Why don't you tell, why don't you tell Colin what you said to me? Yeah. So I guess my kind of general feeling is, and maybe just because we seem to, you know, be staring down the barrel of a recession right now, but in my late twenties and I've, I'm 
watching recession number two about to happen. So, you know, I, I was just kind of wondering why it is that millennials and the U.S. economy don't really seem to get along a lot of the time. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. And I, I guess I'm a, a Gen Xer, so right, right in the middle here. I, I graduated college in 92 and it was one of the worst job markets that we'd ever seen. Uh, we were in the middle of a recession and then had a repeat recession in 1994 when I was just two years into the business. We had a bond market crash and a stock market crash at the same time, which is happening right now. And it's only happened five times in history. So I, I can identify with what you're talking about in, in saying, well, wait a second, when do I, when do I get my turn to have some, some yeah. fun here? And then we had the roaring end of the nineties with the whole internet and the dot com and, and things got really, really good. And that's not a prediction now, but some of the things that I learned and some of the things that I've helped Chris and his wife with are kind of taking in perspective timeframes. Mm-hmm. I, I was taught by uh, the head of economics at, at Rutgers that everything is all about timeframes. An example is if you had some money set aside today and you knew you were going to spend it in about a year, it's more important to have the money than to grow the money. So the investment characteristics you're looking for are safety. And I would even venture to say extreme safety. So maybe things like a bank account or a CD or just something you're going to get a little bit of interest, but you know you're going to spend the money, you're going to want that money. And then if you have a longer term time frame, return becomes to some people more important than the principal or equally as important. And then that's where you can start to enter into some risk and then allow time to protect you. Mm-hmm. So if you can have a properly diversified inv- investment portfolio of some of the greatest companies in the world, we can try to have better faith in the long run, this will all work out. And I think where people get in trouble with investing could be that they're buying not the greatest companies in the world, or they're buying the latest technology that has been unproven and they're speculating. So as they speculate, you're trying to use long-term investments for short-term results. And that sometimes uh, is a recipe for disaster or a recipe for massive success. One thing I definitely wanted to ask you about was I think something that's being sort of peddled to maybe my age group, maybe a little bit older people who have been in the job market for a couple of years and, you know, have some money is um, like crypto is really, really flashy right now. I feel like I'm just constantly getting bombarded on TV ads or, you know, things online, just being like crypto, invest in crypto. I had brought it up to my dad once and he told me that it was sort of reminiscent for him about how everyone um, used to kind of have metals pushed on them um, to, to invest in those. So I was just wondering, you know, what your opinion is about investing in those things. And do you see things like metals and crypto as more fads that are the same type of fad, but like sort of glom onto different ideas, or if these are are prominent things that will stay for a long time? And and that's a great question and a great analogy with the cryptos to to precious metals, not industrial metals, but to, to more precious metals, where the value of those commodities are really what a willing seller and a willing buyer are going to agree upon. There's really not a lot of fundamentals to figure out what is this crypto, this specific crypto, what is it worth? It's just what the popularity is. Now, I personally don't think the technology of crypto or blockchain is a fad. I think it's here and it's here to stay. Mm-hmm. And Chris, we went through a very similar thing in my mind while we were working together to crypto and it was .com. So you remember when that all came out? And everybody wanted to invest in these fantastic technology companies that aren't here anymore 
but the technology has absolutely changed the world and revolutionized the world. We are in three different places right now because of what happened in the late 90s. And we can do these types of things. My business made it through COVID because of what we went through in the 90s and that technology. But investing directly in that technology, when the dot-com bubble burst in 2000, a lot of people got hurt by it. So I view cryptos very similar to what I viewed the dot-com technology and is it speculation. So not the, those who do it right or get the timing correct, whether it's through intelligence or intellect or intuition or pure luck, and I think it's mostly luck, they're the ones that are going to make a lot of money. I always think back to the gold rush. Who made the money in the gold rush? It was the people that sold the shovels and the jeans. Mm -hmm. So if we can find who's utilizing these technologies, whether it be cryptocurrencies or NFTs, to streamline their businesses and do better business, we'll be able to make money over the long term. So Levi Strauss was born out of the gold rush. FedEx and UPS were made viable and more profitable companies through the advent of the airplane. So that's how I view crypto. I do not include it in any planning that I do. I do not recommend it or not recommend it to any clients. Mm -hmm. Same thing with precious metals. I don't utilize those for long-term growth because they may or may not grow. Now, I have clients that own crypto. I have clients that own gold. I own some crypto myself, but it's not part of my plan. It's off to the side, and I know it's going to be a crazy ride. Do you have any inkling as to whether that's going to come back or not? If you had asked me that question 20 years ago, yeah. I would have told you what an, my inkling was, but I've tried to train myself not to have those, particularly when it comes to speculation, because you're right as much as you're wrong. And that just proves to me it's a pure guess. You're not in the prediction business, then. Not the short-term prediction business. <laughs> yeah. We're the long-term prediction business. Yeah, I feel like we're sitting at our kitchen table with you, Colin, because <laughs> these are the kinds of questions that I throw at him. Roberta is much better at this than I am. She, she comes up with really good, really good probing questions. I'll ask something like, should we uh, invest in these gambling apps that we're seeing on TV these days? Uh, what do you think? Well, Drew Brees just makes it seem like so much fun. How could you not want to do that? I had someone very early on my career say, if you want to have fun, go to an amusement park. Right. I, if you want to be, have Great a successful advice. financial plan, invest. <laughs> Colin, at least with us, and I know that, uh, you know, all your, just every client is different, different needs, different situations, but with us, you know, he always stressed, I think, protecting what we have through retirement. And as I mentioned, you know, our risk tolerance at one time was greater than it is these days. Obviously I've been retired now. Both of us have been retired for a year. So we're kind of these fixed income people now. And uh, we have a much lower risk tolerance for things. That's why I will never invest in crypto. I'll just go right ahead and say that. And I will never have a gambling app on my phone either. Colin, you, you used to talk about the bucket approach with Roberta and I. T can you talk about what that is? Expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. And, and it goes back to what I said a little bit ago about it's all about timeframes. So if you have a goal that's in one year, protecting the money, is more important growing. And if it's long-term growing, the money can be more important than protecting. What the bucket approach is, is in your, our relationship has been a, a microcosm of this bucket approach because you have felt like you've gotten more conservative. And what I've witnessed is you've gotten closer to your goal. So you naturally need to ratchet down some of the importance on growth and increase the importance on protecting a portion of the principal. 
So what the bucket approach does is, is we'll use retirement as the specific goal. You can use it for any goal. When you retire, a lot of people think, okay, I'm going to retire at this age and I'm there. My time frame is immediate. However, if you seriously think about it, if you retire at the age of 65, are you planning on living to 75? The answer is yes. And mm-hmm. if you plan on living to 75, will you need money? The answer again should be yes. So if you need money at 75, is it fair to say that some of your money has a 10-year time frame? I think it would be fair to, to assume that. So the bucket approach takes a look at your retirement as a series of singular year goals. One of them is today. One of them is next year. One of them is the year after, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, whatever that might be. So if we can identify how much money is taken from the portfolio each year, we can assign what level of risk you could take with that bucket of money. So we take the first five years and we put it in the bucket that says principal protection is the most important thing we'll sacrifice return. And then we take another 10 years of what you need. So year six of retirement through year 15, and that's bucket number two. And we say, okay, we can tie this money up a little bit. So instead of buying a one-year CD, maybe we buy a five or six-year CD, get a little bit more return, but we sacrifice some liquidity. So still a high importance on principal protection, but we're trying to get more return in bucket two than bucket one, but we still want stability. That clears 15 years of time that you'll be able to supplement your income before you have to worry about any money that you have in the stock market. So year 16 and beyond, that's where we can start talking about the stock market. So that kind of helps me with the calmness that I can portray to you and to your wife when you, uh, Roberta calls me and things are a little stressful because the market's down 20%. And it is stressful and it is scary. But then I can map out the next 15 years of income. Doesn't matter if the stock market comes back five years, six years, seven years. As long as it comes back within 15, your entire plan will work. And if you look back over history of the S&P 500, which is a representation of the U.S. stock market, there's never been a 15-year period where it's lost money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, but it's what we have to base decisions on. Okay, So that's the bucket approach. Things are uh, a little different now than, in my opinion, than they've ever been. The world seems a little more unstable than it has in my lifetime. I know there have been times, and you just mentioned uh, a couple of things there, a couple of periods that we've all been through. Well, uh, you and I have been through anyway, Colin. But I do feel kind of like what Gabby is saying here is that sometimes it just feels like you can't get ahead because every time you do start to feel like you're getting ahead, the other shoe drops. And what, what should someone in Gabby's particular instance, and then I'll ask you about us. Yeah. What, what would you advise her? I know you wouldn't have to know an awful lot about, you'd have to sit down with her, ask her questions. Uh, but what would your approach be for a 27 year old? I would, uh, I would try to convince a 27-year-old to have a slightly different mindset when it comes to investing. And it's something that I work on with myself. Because look, I'm human too, and the market's down 20%, and I'm all stock, so I'm down 20%. And it's scary. I have those emotions as well. What I try to tell myself in the, time, in the uh, mindset that I have is from the beginning of the year, I have lost nothing that I own the value of the things I own has temporarily gone down. So when you buy a mutual fund or an ETF or a stock, you're buying shares. I have the same exact amount of shares now that I did on January 1st. Hmm. So I think if I bought an apartment complex and I had 100 units, I still have 100 units. They just might be worth less per unit 
And I have to ask myself, is it in a nice enough area? Can I get rents? Will it be here in the future? And will it come back? So that's kind of how I work with myself to get my emotions through this so I can be strong for my clients. And it's the truth. The value of what you own is temporarily down. If you have good stuff, it should come back. It's just a slightly different mindset. And it's hard because you look at the dollar amounts. And I once had a client years ago during the 2008 crash, really bring home how clients think and how normal people that aren't in this industry think. If she said, I lost enough money here that I could have paid both of my children's mortgages off and completely changed their lives. So I understand normal people don't think in terms of shares. They don't think in terms of temporary loss. They think in terms of what the money could have done for them if they still had it. And when it comes to long-term planning, those are normal and natural thoughts, but they're dangerous. We say all the time here, the most dangerous words in investing are it's different this time Hmm. because business isn't different. Economics isn't different. If things are profitable, they're worth something. If they're more profitable in the future, they're worth more. We just have to make sure that we're buying things that we know are worth more. And I think a good idea to do is just take a look around the house and who you're buying all your stuff from. If you're buying it, most other people probably are. Those are probably pretty decent investments. So hopefully that helps uh, the younger crew that has a 25 or 30 year time horizon to be able to go through these ups and downs. And and it truly is only emotional. If you put it away, you can get through that, just manage the emotions and get through it. So for fictional younger client that you would be seeing who is about my age, have you noticed? And and maybe looks a little bit like you. Yeah. Maybe sounds a little (laughs) bit like me. Um, Yeah. Have you noticed that, you know, student loans have become a more prominent goal for, for people over the last like 15 years, because I know speaking for myself, like, I feel like I really can't like set myself up for a successful financial future until I take care of the student loans that I have. But I also feel like they've pretty much become an integral part of getting an education to get my education, to pay off those loans. The loans are, are necessary. So I just feel like I hear a lot about it. I know I was spoken to about it a lot when I was deciding where to go to college. And if I wanted to go to college, you know, I guess I'm just wondering if like, if when you plan with people my age, if, if like student loans are a common thing that they're looking to a short-term goal, maybe, maybe hopefully a short-term goal. Yeah, hopefully short-term. Goal. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are, uh, there are challenges that the generation finishing up college over the, the last 10 years has that you know, Chris and I have never had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being student loans, uh, and that that is probably one of the biggest. The other is just current housing prices. Yeah, uh, housing prices are, are are huge, and automobiles. Yeah, three things in life that most people that want to advance themselves wind up needing to deal with, mm-hmm. and it is really a balancing act of paying the debt down, accumulating assets, saving enough money in cash to be able to afford a down payment on a house, and having a car that. You, know, you feel comfortable driving and safe and it's reliable. Like, I have a son who is a senior in college. So I can talk about the things that I'm telling him to do that could be applied to a lot of people in very similar shoes as him. So he'll graduate and we have given him some responsibility for student loans. So he'll have student loans that he'll have to work through because I think that'll be healthy for him to feel some of the challenges other people have as well and not just take care of it for him and the house and the, the, the car and all of that stuff that goes along with it. So when he comes out, if he is with an employer that has a retirement plan, if there's a match available in that retirement plan, I'm telling him that's free money. 
So you want to at least contribute into your retirement plan mm -hmm. to get the free money. And I'll be telling him to put it into a Roth status because while he's making reasonable money and not in a high tax bracket, he can put money away on an after-tax basis. It can grow tax-free. And if he takes it out into retirement, it will still be tax-free. So he will be taking a lot of money out tax-free later, having paid a little bit on in taxes currently. So that's my first thing. When he has extra money, that's where the first place it goes. The second place is taking a look at the student loans. Now, his student loans, unfortunately, interest rates can come up. So when this whole deferral of payments and interest rates, when that's all over, if he goes to refinance, he's going to be refinancing at a not a great rate, not, not usurious rates, but it's not going to be a great rate. So we'll probably take a look at those loans and say, look, we're at six or 7%. Each dollar you put towards that, you're guaranteeing yourself a six or 7% return. So we probably want to start advanced paying those loans and not let them last 15 or 20 years. I've worked with other clients that last year, year before, we were able to refinance loans at three, three and a half. I'm telling them, let that money ride out for the 15 or 20 year loan. Because if you take the money you would put towards the loan, put it someplace else, it could probably work better for you. So it's going to be highly dependent on what the interest rates are, but it is something that 100% as you said, it needs to be addressed and part of a plan, particularly if you want to start your life with a house, because a house helps people grow net worth. People should own rather than rent long-term. So it sounds like even though student loans, I would say is a pretty common financial load that people my age have it, that your money can still sort of work for you in other spaces, even if you have that outstanding. Absolutely. Particularly if you're fortunate enough to work someplace where they match your retirement contributions. Don't let free money go. And I've had a lot of people say to me, well, yeah, but if I take the money out, there's a 10% penalty. Well, if it's a 50% match, you're still 40% ahead of the game. To me, it makes sense. Um, and the other thing for, for people that maybe they're getting new jobs and they haven't had a career job before that pays a, a good wage, sign up for that retirement plan before you get your first paycheck because you won't even notice it coming out because you don't know what your check was before you started. I'm a big proponent of systematic savings. Payroll deduction is great. Get it out of your hands before you figure out how to spend it. I was the same way and I still am. If it gets into the bank account, I'll figure out a way to get rid of it. <laughs> That's true. If you never see it, you, you can't use it. You know, it's not there as temptation. Oh yeah. He did preach that to us for years and years and years. And just one of the things that he was absolutely right about. But now that we're old and retired, Colin, where do we go from here? And as I mentioned, you know, I, I kind of feel uneasy about not, not just this country, but I feel uneasy about the world financially. Looking at everything, it's a little scary. And, you know, I don't know who's more afraid at this point, the 20-something or the, I just turned 69 over the weekend. I'm a little afraid of what's to come down the road. What, what should a typical person or, or, or an average person that's in your situation make sure that they're being careful of or, or, or wise about, given that things are pretty negative? And they are. Uh, I, I have conversations. I have a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old. And I have conversations with them all the time to, to remember when they're watching the news or they're on their social media that a lot of times people want viewers or clicks and bad news will quite often sells a lot better than good news. So you're going to have the bad in your face all of the time and you have to seek out and search for the good. So you have to every day look for little wins in life and just 
little signs that people are good. And I pointed out to my kids yesterday when we were waiting for breakfast, there was a car that was parked behind my car on the main street in Collingswood. And it kind of blocked and didn't leave enough room behind them for another car to park. And I was guiding in a friend from California and telling them where to park. And I said, ah, someone just pulled up. And I think the person heard me. They got back in their car and they moved it up. And I turned to my kid and I said, that's a good sign. Remember that one for today. Minor wins, just little things. But um, not to be Pollyanna about the world, there are some serious things going on in the world right now. I mean, there, there's a war that's disrupting uh, people's lives that are involved in the war and disrupting everybody else's lives on the planet that aren't in the war. This is real stuff. And I look back and I used to have a chart on my wall in my office all the time. And then I realized how negative it was. And it showed all the ups and downs of the stock market, but it showed all the negative things that have happened in the past. History doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. So if we really look back, there are periods of time that are similar to this period of time. And when we're making financial decisions, I think we need to be careful in times like this. We really need to focus that if we're investing in equities, that we're investing in companies that we're confident will continue to do business a good way in the right way. Big companies that have products that everybody needs and wants. If we're not in equities for those first two buckets, we want to, again, be careful in the companies that we choose. So CD rates have come back up. We're using a lot more one-year, 18-month and two-year CDs. I bought a CD for a client this morning, 2.9% for 12 months. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it is compared. No, I'm like excited about it. It's horrible, but I'm excited about it because a year ago they were a half a percent. Um, so, So that would be really make sure the buckets are designed properly. And then when you're in that third bucket where it's just long term, is that we're really looking for quality companies. So my partners and I are looking for the types of investments that, that we're doing now is we want to make sure we're buying companies that have low debt that have high cash positions, that are paying dividends, that are in an industry or a section of the economy that is needed, will always be needed. We're not looking for companies right now that five or six years from now are going to be the top of their group and maybe an emerging group. So we are kind of making sure that we're being more careful in the companies. We're not so much growth oriented, but we still don't want to give up the opportunities of the stock market and how it has historically performed over a 12 to 15 year period. A little bit of a lighter question. What made you want to get into financial planning? Have you always just been interested in the market or were you like, I'm really good at numbers and this seems like a good thing to do? Uh, Honestly, I didn't get the job at Anderson Consulting. (laughs) 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 I tripped into this, to be brutally (laughs) honest with you. I was so excited about being consultant at the time with Anderson Consulting, which doesn't exist anymore. And they, I made it through a battery of interviews and I had the final interview and it was going to be at Lebec Finn in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I went down to our on-campus recruiting office, which was phenomenal at Rutgers Camden. I hope it's still just as good. And I wanted to role play and they'd never asked to, been asked to role play before. I'm like, well, how do I get ready for this? They're like, oh, we have this company that's here that just happens to have an open interview spot. Why don't you go in and practice with them? I didn't get the job at Anderson. I wound up getting a job offer from the person I practiced with. And I said, I don't have anything else going on. So let me jump in. And it was uh, my father had always taught us never quit when you're down, always get back on top and then quit. So it's just a life lesson that I've had, whether it makes sense or not, it was just something he taught me. And uh, Chris, this is a conversation we've never had. I was about three years into the business I was done. I hated it. 
didn't ever want to do it again. I wanted to go do something else and I had no idea what I was going to do, but I wanted to do something else. So I buckled down and I was not doing well. I buckled down, won a couple of awards, really got back on top of my game, was one of the best young advisors in our office and then sat down with my dad and had a conversation. He's like, well, how do you feel now? I said, I wanted to quit because I was losing, not because I didn't like it. And I realized I really did like it. And it changed my entire focus of, of what I was doing and absolutely love what I do. I love working with people, like helping them, like helping them sort through their emotions and, and uh, give them good advice and make sure that they just stay disciplined. Colin is like family to, to Roberta and me. And, you know, he's one of those people that has always been there to answer questions, to allay fears, uh, to give good advice. And again, more than anything else, to calm down. It's the long, we're taking the long road here. We're taking the long approach. And, you know, it's as someone who is at, looking back 30 years, just about, and I'm looking now, okay, I'm at the, almost at the end of that long road, you know, and it is all somehow magically worked out, Colin. Right. And, and you're the guy who worked the magic for, uh, for Roberta and me. I know it's, it's, it's a team thing. We have to cooperate. You have to give advice. We have to weigh that out and decide what to do. But we've always been open with each other. And I think that we've, we've had a great relationship because of that. He, he's not asking me to do this, but I would recommend this gentleman to anyone, uh, anyone at all, uh, even my worst enemy. Well, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, no. Colin is, is a great guy. He knows his stuff. And we took a chance on a young guy back 30 years ago. And boy, did it work out in our favor yeah, big time. Very effective. And you know, somewhere in there, in here, there's a TED talk that I think Colin <laughs> should give at some point or at least consider. Maybe this is it. I don't know for sure. <laughs> Chris talk. Chris talk, yeah. The Chris talk. Yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the Chris talk. Colin Law, financial planner for Creative Financial Group, and uh, much more than that, a good friend to collaborator with uh, Roberta and I over these many years. And it's worked out well for us. Thank you, Colin. And sure. by the way, we, you never did tell us about that little problem you had three years into, yeah. into, the, into your career. And it's probably a good thing that you didn't mention that. Probably. I figured I was safe now. <laughs> I don't know if enough time has passed. <laughs> this will be good uh, conversation for Roberta and I at dinner time tonight. So. <laughs> Just kidding. Colin Law, thank you so much for doing this today. I appreciate it so much. Sure thing. Thank you. So that for, for me, that was uh, not only interesting and fun, but reassuring at the same time, <laughs> you know, because and really, I mean, I guess you and I are a lot alike in some ways in, in, in this arena, because, you know, you're concerned about the future and Hey, guess what? I'm still concerned about the future, even as a retired person. Now, you know, I have to protect what I have and you're looking to build. Oh, no, I don't want to hear that you're retired and you're still worried about the future. I thought I was finally going to get a break at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as, as I mentioned to Colin, I mean, you know, the world is a weird place now. I mean, you know, it's just you, you just don't know what's going to happen next, you know, but he does have that very calming influence and has for for years for the two of us. And, you know, as a, as a result of uh, working with Colin, Roberta and I are in the process of uh, purchasing a, a private island in the Caribbean. I don't want to mention exactly where. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Colin's really good at his job. 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course, I am going to download one of those gambling apps, though. Oh, no. <laughs> Isn't now, that I, the one thing we should have learned from the episode was don't download the gambling apps? <laughs> now, you know what? I can't watch a Phillies game. It seems like every commercial break has at least one of those gambling apps. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. I and know. They are, they are so obnoxious. for They one are. Thing. You know, and it's just, I mean, and they're, you know, you're, they're trying to appeal to people who probably are going to gamble away their paycheck, yeah. you know, the, the mortgage money. It's just, there should be a law. There just should be a law that and ask your doctor about so-and-so, you know, the, uh, <laughs> with big pharma going right. I, you know, all right. I digress. I'm sorry. I, let me get off my soapbox here. And once again, thank Colin Law. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Colin. Not sure how this turned into a conversation about gambling apps on your phone during Phillies games, but we we appreciated you coming on nonetheless. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll uh, we'll catch you next week. We'll have uh, something interesting and perhaps even exciting to talk about with you next week on the Encore Podcast. Yeah. Bye, everybody.